0: Good morning. Good morning, Redeemer family. Um, Children's Church. Um, children you are now released to go with uh, is Juan, I believe, right? Where you There he is. Yep. So as the children depart to Children's church, um, first let me just say thank you. Thank you for allowing me to be here in this place. Again, my name is Marcus Nobles. and I'm the RUF campus ministry associate at the University of um, Alabama A&M up in Normal, Alabama. Um, Brother L, thank you uh, once again for allowing me this space and this opportunity. I never, take, I never take it lightly or take it for granted when I have the chance to stand here in this place and to deliver God's word to God's people. It's such a beautiful opportunity that we have as RUF campus ministers to not only be able to deliver God's word, but um, do what RUF does best. And um, I call RUF the food truck of the church. Anybody ever been to a really good food truck? Yeah? It's delicious, right? And you can smell it from far away. And they don't have a big menu, they just package up a few things and they do it really well right? And they drive it right to where the people are and they drop it off in this irresistible fashion. And when you get a taste of what that food truck has to offer, the first thing you say is, where's the restaurant? How can I get more of this? Right? And as RUF campus pastors, we have the opportunity to be the church's food truck, to package the gospel in a delicious and irresistible way, drive it right to campus where there are hungry students who need God's word, and deliver this irresistible product right? And when they get a bite and they get a taste of the gospel and they see how good God is, we can tell them, hey, this isn't even the restaurant. Go to church. Go to where their full menu is. Go to the house where God sits and the full menu is available. So it's my absolute pleasure to be in God's house this morning. Amen? So this sermon that I'm going to bring to you today comes from 1 Peter chapter 1. Um, and this chunk of scripture is um, what we worked through at RUF Alabama A&M all of last year. We worked through 1st and 2nd Peter. And I love how in 1st Peter, there's um, all of these things that align directly with what a college student faces, right? First, in 1st in Peter, Peter's writing this um, letter to the, to the church to, to who he calls elect exiles. And this is the church in dispersion. So it's people that are spread apart, right? They're far from their home. Rome has come, over, come in and taken over, and all these people are now spread out. So they weren't able to worship how they were used to worshiping, right? And man, that sounds a lot like college students, yeah? College students pack up and leave home, and they're dispersed. They're somewhere where they're not used to being, and they don't really know how to worship, how they had been worshiping. So 1 Peter chapter 1, I think, speaks particularly to college students, but it also speaks directly to us um, as the church today. And I've titled this sermon, How, How to Walk in Dark, Hard Times, right? What do we do now? How do we handle the world when it's dark and it's heavy and we feel like elect exiles? We know that we're God's people, but we feel exiled. I'm sure many of us have felt that way. Amen. So let's go to the text. 1 Peter chapter 1. We're going to look at verses 1 through 16, I think. And it starts with this, Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who are elect exiles in the dispersion of Pontia, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, according to the foreknowledge of God the Father, in the sanctification of the Spirit, for obedience to Jesus Christ and for sprinkling with his blood. May grace and peace be multiplied to you. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled and unfailing, kept for you in heaven Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Concerning this salvation, the prophets who prophesied about the grace that was to be yours searched and inquired carefully 13, Therefore, preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance, but as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Since it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. Amen? This is the word of God. I do believe it's true. The grass may wither, the flowers thereof may fade away, but the word of our Lord shall stand forever. Amen? Let's pray. Father God, we come to you humbly to say thank you. Thank you for being our God, and thank you for allowing us to be your people. Thank you for choosing us as your elect exiles. Father, as we dig into your word, let it be written deeply on the tablets of our hearts. And let it pierce our souls and go with us, not only from here, but into all places. It's in your son Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So again, I'm always amazed at how well these texts that are thousands of years old still apply to us right now today. Right? And how these texts really apply to college kids. Um, And I find comfort in that fact that even in hard times, we have, as God's children, this book, this collection of works that helps us work out how to live and walk in hard times, right? Ecclesiastes tells us that there's nothing new under the sun. And as we traverse through hard times, I find real comfort in that fact. It reminds me that God has seen it all, right? Right? And there's nothing that we can come across that God hasn't already figured out. So when we read this text, it begins with some things that are true, right? Some things that are just unequivocally true if you call yourself God's child, right? Verse 1 and 2, since you have been elected by God, here's the first thing that's unequivocally true in this text. You are hand-chosen by God. I don't know about you, but that makes me feel warm and fuzzy on the inside to know that I am God's chosen one, right? He picked me, He picked you, He chose us. Verse 1 and 2 tells us that we are His elect exiles. So even when we feel cast off, even when we feel far away from everything that we know and love, there's something that is unequivocally true that the world can't change, and that's we are God's chosen people. Amen? John 15:19 says it this way, If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. So at times, you may feel exiled, you may feel hated, you may feel separated, you may feel alone, you may feel broken, you may feel discontent, you may feel disheartened. But there's something that can never change, and that is we are God's chosen people. That makes me feel warm and fuzzy on the inside, right? Verse 3 says this, he has given us a living hope. How many of you know that your hope is not dead? Your hope is alive in a living, risen Savior called Jesus Christ. Amen? We have something that the world can't take. Even when they tried and they crucified him, he came back to life. We have a living hope in a risen Savior. Amen? God's Son who died for us and was resurrected from death, Jesus Christ, is our living hope. So no matter what happens in the world, no matter what happens in life, no matter what trials we go through, we are God's chosen people and we have a living, risen Savior. And there's nothing the world can do to change that. Amen? It's one and two. The two, first two things that are unequivocally true that First Peter tells us here. Verses 4 and 5. He has given us an inheritance that will go on and on forever and is kept for us in heaven. <sighs> that makes me feel warm and fuzzy on the inside, right? Especially in days like today when the stock market is so um, changing and we never know what's going to happen next. Here's something that I can know for sure that I can stand on with surety is that I have an inheritance that is stored up for me in heaven that the world did not give and the world cannot take away. Amen? We have an inheritance, something that is ours that the world can't take, and it's stored up for us in heaven. That makes me feel warm and fuzzy on the inside, right? Verses six through nine. Even though we may suffer for a little while here on earth, it produces strong faith and allows us to always have joy and obtain salvation. So even though we go through trials here on earth, even though we struggle, even though things don't always go the way we want, even though we can't have all that we desire here on earth, It produces something that is more valuable than anything we could ever get here. And it gives us joy that 1 Peter says is inexpressible to the rest of the world. We have access to joy that the world doesn't understand. And we have it because we are God's elect exiles. We're his chosen people. And we have a living risen hope in a risen savior. Amen? And we have... Um, An inheritance that's stored up for us in heaven. So when you think about all of those things that are unequivocally true, that the world can't change, it's easy to understand how we can have joy that the world can't explain. Amen? Spurgeon said it this way, even when the Christian is most distressed by various trials, what a mercy it is that he can know that he is still elect of God. Any man who is assured that God has foreknown before the foundation of the world can very well say, We rejoice greatly. We can rejoice in trials because our faith in Christ and the salvation that he brings provides an undercurrent of joy and great rejoicing that is always present. We have access to an undercurrent of joy that's always present no matter what happens in, in life, no matter what happens in the world, we have access to this joy that is inexpressible to the rest of the world. Amen? Ah, that makes me feel so warm and fuzzy, right? Like, I feel a little bit better just sitting here talking about this, that despite whatever happens outside in the world, I have access to joy that is inexpressible to the rest of the world. Hmm, even though I suffer for a little while, I have access to inexpressible joy. It's that faith that is a sure mark of eternal election. The genuineness of our faith comes through, through our trials. If you have genuine faith, you have indefinitely more than he who has all the world, yet has no faith. Amen? Verse 10 through 12 we have what the prophets proclaimed. Did you know that? What the prophets of old proclaimed are these things that we just listed out that are unequivocally true as believers. And even more, what we have, this faith that we have, this genuine faith that's tested by trials, that comes by being God's elect exiles and having a risen living saint, savior and an inheritance that's stored up in heaven it's what angels look for verse 12 says that that's what angels look for did you know that you have something that even angels look for how precious is that how beautiful is that how amazing is that that we right now as God's elect exiles as his chosen children have something that even the angels look for Warm and fuzzy, right? I don't know about y'all, but that does something to me. It makes me feel good on the inside to know that I am God's chosen elect exile and that I have this faith that is genuine, even though it's tested by trials, and it gives me joy that is inexpressible to the rest of the world. That's what Peter tells us in these first 12 verses. Now, what do we do with that? What do we do with all of that warm, fuzzy, happy thoughts, right? Verse 13 tells us, we have to change how we think. Here comes the application. Change how you think. For my other pastors and, and seminarians in here, one thing in the seminary that they hammer into you is when you see a therefore, ask what it's there for. You, did you ever hear that? Heard that so, so many times, right? And in this case, Peter is preparing to state some ethical implications that come from all the doctrinal teachings of these previous verses, right? Because of all of these things, because of these first 12 verses, now do this, right? Verse 13, he tells us to prepare our mind for action, right? In the Greek, it says to gird up the loins of your mind. Anybody know what it means to gird up loins? Yeah? Think olden times when men didn't, didn't wear nice suits, like like this one, they, they, they would have on like loins. They'd have to bind them up so they could use their legs and like actually go do work, right? So verse 13 tells us to gird up the loins of our mind. God says the same thing to Job. Anybody read the book of Job? It's a lot longer than you think it is. It's like 40-something chapters, right? But God says these same words to Job. He tells him to gird up his loins and prepare for action like a man. Almost fighting words, Right? This this is a real call to action. What Peter is telling us here is to bring under control all the loose-flowing thoughts that would slow our spiritual progress, to gird up the loins of our minds, to take action, and to do something with these 12 verses that he just gave us, right? And then he says to be sober-minded. And the Greek word here, sober, doesn't just mean not to be drunk, but it means to think clearly, right? To have self-control, be morally decisive. Without balance and full control of the mind, men are liable to reel back and forth between various intoxicating ideas about doctrine and conduct. And our subconscious mind starts to affect our outward actions. One commentary puts it this way, the proper response to the grace of God is disciplined self-control. So what's feeding your mind? When I give this to my college students, I specifically ask them this, this question. What's feeding your mind? Is TikTok feeding your mind? Is Snapchat feeding your mind? Is social media feeding your mind? Is your favorite news channel feeding your mind? Is what is only the things that you see from the world what's feeding your mind? Proverbs says, as a man thinks, so he is. Next, Peter tells us to think hopefully and to set our hope fully on the grace that is brought to us by Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ alone. Amen? There is something coming that is greater than this. Let me say that again so you really catch it. There is something coming that is greater than this, that is greater than what we face right now. And that thing is Jesus. Amen? We as Christians should set our hope on Jesus. Church, what is your hope set on? When I give this to my college students, I ask them that specific question Is your hope set on Facebook? Is your hope set on homecoming? Is your hope set on the football game? Where is your hope, church? Where are you placing your hope? Set it on the grace that is being brought to you and trust that without reserve, the grace of God is even now being revealed day by day. Jesus Christ is coming. Amen? If you're not sure where to set your hope, set your hope on Jesus. Set your hope fully on our living risen Savior who is coming back for his elect exiles. Amen? As I was prepping this sermon the first time, I was talking to my wife, Jessica, and, I, and we were reading through the, 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 the verses, and she compared it to running a race, right? We prepare for the race that we're running as Christians by preparing our minds, having self-control, and setting our hope on the finish line. When you run a race, you don't set your hope on what's right in front of you. You set your hope on, you set your mind to the end, right? To the finish. You have to run till it's done, So as Christians, we should be setting our hope on the finish line of Jesus Christ. Jesus is standing at our finish line, waiting to welcome us and say, well done. Set your hope on him, the one who has already overcome the world. Amen? If we're to survive living in a dark world, we must prepare to run our race well and sober-minded and with our hope set on Jesus Now let's look at verses 14 through 16. Wow, that was a lot for one verse, right? Verse 13. Hmm. 14 through 16 tells us to do this, to be holy. So So verse 13 told us to change how we think. Verses 14 through 16 tells us to change what we do and be holy. 14 says, As obedient children do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance, but as he who called you is holy... You also be holy in all your conduct, since it is written, You shall be holy, for I am holy. Here, obedience and holiness are like two sides of the same coin, right? What we do and being holy are like two sides of the same coin. Do not conform to the evil desires that you had when you lived in ignorance. There's a similarity here between the writings of Peter and Paul that are unmistakable in this verse. Paul tells his readers, do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. That's Romans 12, right? This is an invitation to become better than the old you when you didn't know any better. It's an invitation to become better than the old you. It's the aspects of our former ignorance that tempt us into conformity and tempt us into being more worldly right? This type of obedience that he's talking about here, it isn't contractual, like do or don't do things so that you won't get in trouble. It's more of an image of our covenant with God. Do or don't do things because of who you are, and more so because of whose you are, right? The very first verse tells us that we are God's elect exiles. Guess what, church? We belong. We belong. We belong. So we should live our lives in such a way that shows whose we are. So holiness and obedience aren't this contractual thing, do this so that you won't get in trouble. It's do this because it's whose you are. Because you belong, you act a certain way, right? Because I have on a suit, I'm not gonna go outside and play football and roll in the dirt, right? Obedience is a picture of the goal of God's covenant to his people. Think about this, all the way back to Moses leading the people out of Egypt, in Exodus 19, verses one through four, we see that God provides uh, salvation to the Israelites long before he gives them law, right? Before the 10 commandments was given, God gives a beautiful prologue of the redemption and the reassurance of his promises. He blesses them long before he gives them rules. And it's because of who they are. They're his people. So, be holy. When people look at your life, at your words, at your actions, at how you live, they should think, somehow this person's different. Somehow, they they, they must be connected to something. They must belong to God. So live your life in such a way that shows not only who you are, but whose you are. John Owen says it this way, Holiness is nothing but implanting, writing, and realizing the gospel on our souls. I'll say that again. Holiness is nothing but implanting, writing, and realizing the gospel in our souls. All right, story time. I look just like my dad. If my dad was here, if he walked in and you all saw him, you would look and say, what's going on here? Right? And it's funny, when I took the position at Alabama A&M, it's kinda something that I knew was coming because both of my parents graduated from Alabama A&M. I've been going there my entire life. I've been at football games forever. Like, I know that campus like the back of my hand because I've been on it so many times, right? And when I got to campus and I started doing the work of RUF there, there were people there who were, who were still there professors or had gone to school with my parents and are now professors at the university who knew my dad. And as soon as they saw me, before they knew who I was, before they knew even what RUF was, they saw me and they said, Nobles, is that you? Oh, man, you look just like your dad. I remember your dad win this. And they have all these beautiful stories about them in college, right? And there's nothing that I can do to change that. Every time I step on campus, I still look just like my dad. And there are still people who see me And recognize who my Father is. You guys see where I'm going? Likewise, all of us should look just like our Father. Amen? In everything that we do in life, people should be able to look at us and see whose we are. People should be able to see Christ in us. In how we live. In how we walk. In how we talk. In how we treat each other. In how we treat strangers in how we treat those who don't have, we should act just like Jesus. And they should see our Father in us. And there should be nothing that we can do to get away from looking just like our Father. Amen? We should all look like Christ. God should be able to look down from heaven and see us and say, that's my boy. Look at him. He looks just like me. That's my girl. Look at her. Man, she looks just like me. God should be overwhelmingly proud with how much we look just like him. Holiness in in this fashion is like wholeness. If we can become more whole and pursue God and strive to be holy, we will at the same time become more whole, more complete. What if we stopped looking out To fill our missing places, and we started looking up. What if we started looking to Christ to fill the empty spots in our lives, and we at the same time became more whole, and then at the same time looked more like our Father, and at the same time became more obedient? So it's not just enough to show up to work, you have to clock in. Anybody remember their first job? Anybody? I remember mine vividly. I was 14, I just turned 15, and I was working at McDonald's, and my aunt owned the McDonald's, so you know I kind of had an inside lane there. That's how I got hired so young. And I vividly re- remember my job, because I was so young, I couldn't cook hamburgers, and I couldn't work the fry machine, and they definitely didn't want me touching money, right? So I was mopping and sweeping floors. I would show up, and it was my job to grab the broom, sweep up the floors, and make sure that the lobby looked good. And I remember when I first started working, there were so many times where I would walk in and just start working. I didn't know any better, right? But all of us adults in the room know that it's not just enough to show up. You have to actually clock in, right? Even if you show up, and even if you start doing the work, if you haven't clocked in, you, you're not getting paid, right? Obedience is showing up. Holiness is clocking in. You got to do both. But man, that's hard, isn't it? It's hard to be obedient, and it's hard to be holy. And gosh, now that I think about it, I don't think I've ever gotten it right. In my 31 years of living, I don't think I've ever actually done it all right. I don't think I've ever actually been all the way holy. Or all the way obedient. But I'm so glad for God's grace. Amen? God's grace is what allows us to continue, even though we can't get it all right. Holiness is the result of God's grace, not its cause. Let me say that again so that you catch it. Holiness is the result of God's grace not its cause. God shows us grace so that we can then become more holy. He doesn't ask us to be holy first and then give us grace. And we see that all throughout the Bible, right? God's always been gracious to us. He's always been kind to us. He's always forgiven us. Why? Because we're his. Amen? Like verse 1 says, we're his elect exiles. He chose us. He gave us a living, risen hope. Amen? He gives us an inheritance that's stored up for us in heaven. And even if we struggle, and even if we can't get it all right, he still gives us his grace, which allows us to have joy that's inexpressible to the rest of the world. Amen? Last point, and I'm closing with this. Verse 15. In all of your conduct, in all of your conduct, in everything that you do, you should look like whose you are. One more story, and then I'll be done. So I'm at Alabama A&M now, which is up in Huntsville. Before that, I was at the University of South Alabama, which is down in Mobile, down, down by the beach. Anybody been to the beaches in South Alabama? Anybody been to Orange Beach or Gulf Shores? It's gorgeous, isn't it? Like, I genuinely believe that Alabama has some of the best beaches in the world, and I've been a lot of places. And the beach at Orange Beach, right right between the Alabama and Florida state line, is the most gorgeous place I think God ever created. It is awe-inspiring. The sand is soft and powdery and white, and it's cool to the touch even when the sun is out and it's hot. The water is this beautiful blue, this emerald green blue, and it's clear. You can see all the way down to the bottom of it. And the waves are soft and gentle. You can wade out into the water all the way to your waist and you feel safe and cool and calm. It's one of the most beautiful places in the entire world. I love that beach so much that my wife and I got married there. And like there's a spot on the beach that's our spot. Like every time we go to the beach, we go back to the same spot because it's because it's our spot, right? And like you guys can see how excited I get just thinking about how beautiful the beach is. <clears throat> a few years ago, right at our spot where we always go, the city of Orange Beach started putting up parking, parking booth tolls. And if you don't live there, you have to pay a toll to park at the beach, right? So we get down there and we've been going there for years. We get down there uh, one time recently, and I'm shocked to find out that I have to pay now to park at my spot. It's my spot, right? I shouldn't have to park, I shouldn't have to pay to park here. And so I begrudgingly get out of my car and I click the button, I feed it my $3, I get the parking pass, I put it in my window. And then I look around and I notice there are some people that have these decals, right? Because they live there. So they don't have to stop at the toll booth. They can just park on the beach and go and enjoy my spot. (sighs) So if you're a resident, you don't have to pay to park there. But if you're a tourist, There's a gate that you have to pay. Jesus should never be a tourist in your heart. Jesus should never have to pay a toll to park on your beach. Jesus should be a resident. You should give him a decal. He should be able to come and park on the beach of your soul whenever he wants. Because he should be a resident there. Let him into everything in all of your conduct, in everything that you do. Jesus should be able to be there. He should be able to park on the beach of your soul whenever he wants and never have to pay a toll. He's already paid the toll. Amen? Let Jesus into everything, into every department of your life. So what do we do in this dark world? How do we walk? In dark times and I'm, and I'm almost done. We remember these things, who God is and whose we are. Who do we belong to? We remember that we have a living hope in, in a risen Savior that is Jesus Christ. Amen? We remember that our inheritance is in heaven. It's not even here on earth. The world did not give it and the world cannot take it away. And we remember that even if we suffer here on earth for a little while, our faith in Christ gives us joy. Next, we think on these things. We prepare our minds and gird up the loins of our minds. We be sober-minded in our thinking, balanced and morally decisive, and we set our hope on Christ and Jesus Christ alone. Amen? And lastly, we do these things. We be obedient and not conform to this world. We be holy And we look like our Father. We look like Christ in everything that we do. And lastly, we let God into everything. Amen? In every department of our life. And if we do that, we will quickly realize that God handles darkness far better than anyone else. No one handles darkness better than the creator of light. Amen? Let God do what God does. Because church, he's good at it. And he's been doing it for a long time. Amen? Let's pray. Father, God, we come to you humbly once again to say thank you. Thank you for always being our God. And thank you for your promise that allows us to be your people. Father, as we traverse through a dark and troubled fallen world, remind us of whose we are and remind us of the living, risen hope that we have in a living, risen Savior who has not only overcome death but has overcome the world. Remind us, O God, that our inheritance is stored up for us in heaven and the world didn't give it and the world cannot take it away. And remind us, O God, that even if we suffer here on earth, we have faith in Jesus Christ that gives us inexpressible joy. Remind us and help us to think and to set our mind and our hope on Jesus and Jesus Christ alone. And help us, O oh God, as we try to be obedient and remind us that even when we fall short, that your grace is enough. Father, is this in all things we pray in your son Jesus' name. Amen.